Would you turn your Bible to two passages of Scripture? One is found in Mark, the fifth chapter, and the other in Ephesians, chapter 5. Mark, chapter 5, and Ephesians, chapter 5. In Mark, the fifth chapter, just a brief text from the 19th verse. Jesus had just performed a marvelous miracle. A man had been made completely whole. He had been demon-possessed. He had been out in the wayward wind, so to speak. He didn't have clothes on. He had been deserted by his family. And then Jesus came. And everything has changed when Jesus comes. The man got healed. He got saved. And the first thing he wanted to do was go and follow Jesus. He wanted to go with the Lord. But Jesus said in verse 19, Howbeit Jesus permitted him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them what great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. Go home to thy friends. Now that's just a phrase that I would like to lift from that text. And I acknowledge that that's not the best kind of preaching. I would like to just follow that scripture and preach right from there. But God has laid on my heart another theme. But I want to give you that thought. Go home to thy friends and tell what great things God hath done for you. Today is Father's Day. And home is a hard place when Father is not there. And so I would say to fathers today, go home. If you've been away from home, go home. I would say to those who have a daddy, go home and honor your father. Word of God says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God hath given thee. And as we think about going home and honoring our father, I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 18. We'll not read all of this, but just some highlights from this marvelous chapter. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the rest of this chapter and chapter 6 tell us how Spirit-filled people will live. Beginning in verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. The Spirit-filled person will have a song in his soul. So go home and sing. I remember very, very well in the early days of my life, my father was not a professing Christian, but he had grown up in a godly Methodist home, had a godly Methodist mother, and somewhere he learned all the songs. And we used to gather 
at home, my mother would play the piano, and my dad would lead the singing. Now, he didn't go to church, but we'd sing at home. And we'd sing all the songs that we sing here. One of the songs he'd sing is Bright in the Corner, Where You Are. I think he learned that from Homer Rodeheaver in the Billy Sunday campaigns. He'd sing Nothing Between My Soul and the Savior, the organ played this morning. He would sing, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, down at the cross, when the roll is called up yonder. I can just hear his tenor voice, had a beautiful tenor. I think Roger got a lot of his gifts and talents from my dad. Now, the Spirit-filled Christian will be a singing Christian. I believe in our homes, daddies, you ought to lead the singing at home. Don't leave that to your mama. I think every once in a while, James Gray has a family get-together and has people get together over there, and they sing. Now, I've never been to one of them, but I've heard about them, and they sing over there. We ought to sing. Secondly, in verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit-filled Christian is, has a, is a thankful Christian. He has gratitude in his heart. One of our greatest sins today is the sin of ingratitude. Verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. In a godly home where the, where the, the Spirit is filled, the people are filled with the Spirit, there is a submission, not just the wife submitting herself to her own husband according to verse 20 and 21, or 22, but the husband does some submitting to the role of the wife, and the wife does some submitting to the role of the husband. We talked about that a few weeks ago and well again tonight in the message. Look at verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. In the spirit-filled home and among spirit-filled people, there's going to be a wife, not a member of the ERA, not flouting herself out as a feminist, but glad to be part of a home where she can submit herself to the role of her husband. And then in verse 25, Husband, love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. In the spirit-filled home, and the spirit-filled life, the husband will love his wife. And the word for love there is not eros, it is agapao, agape. It is the kind of love that Jesus had for the church. Love is described in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is kind. Love is long-suffering. Love is patient. Love is faithful. Love never ends. Now we go on to chapter 6. The Spirit-filled children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and my, thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. The Spirit-filled boys and girls and teenagers in a godly home are going to honor mom and dad. Children, obey your parents. Now this, the Bible does not ever say that children need to agree with everything mother and daddy says. See, we're all free moral agents, and that begins when we're little. And as we grow teenward, 
We're between being children and being adults, and we have a mind of our own. And sometimes we get the idea that mom and dad are trying to treat me like a little child. Or we wonder when mom and dad are ever going to grow up and learn what everybody else has already learned. And we think we know better than they do. Now, I'm not planting thoughts in your mind because every teen in this room has thought like that. Nonetheless, the Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your father and your mother. And you'll never regret honoring your father and your mother. And somebody came to me one day and said, but my father does not deserve honor. He's a drunk. I said, God did not say you have to agree with everything your father does, but the Bible says you need to honor him. Even if he's a drunk, a thug, in prison, whatever he is, you need to honor him. And I have very little use for this generation of kids that call their father the old man. Or that talk down to him. There will be a regret in your heart one day over that. There's a spiritual joy and blessing that comes when you obey God's word that says, Honor your father and your mother. And then, look at verse 4. The Spirit-filled Father, ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now that's as far as we'll go in that passage of Scripture. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Somebody said, I think it was Grace Stoner Clark, I'm glad that God made fathers out of men who once were boys, who understand boys' troubles and put up with their noise. Of course, Dad's not good at cooking. Meals a family requires, but you ought to taste the flapjacks baked on hiking trip campfires. Some dads are even smart enough to explain arithmetic and why you'd better lose a game than win with a mean trick. Sometimes dad will kiss a bump. It's only when you're small. And when there's time to play with us, we have a great game of ball. I'm glad that God made fathers out of men who once were boys, who remember boys have troubles and need dads to share their joys. And so we salute our men today. Today is Father's Day, 1987. The Iran-Contra problem is right over everybody's shoulder. We have hostages in Lebanon. Some believe they've already been moved to Iran. More recently, some have been kidnapped again as international hostages. Crime is on the upswing in our world. Sin is rampant. Incest, open sex, open nudity, open drunkenness, premarital sex, abortion used as a birth control measure, the Christian schools under attack. This is a day that calls for the best that's within every man in this room and within the sound of our voice. William A. Smart was a Civil War, Civil War veteran. He raised his motherless pioneer family on the prairies of the Northwest. 
The first Sunday of June, 1910, was his birthday. He died in 1919. A grateful daughter, Mrs. Dodd, grateful for her beloved father, conceived the idea of a special day to recognize the value and respect we should have toward all our fathers. She urged all the pastors of Spokane, Washington to honor the fathers on that day. They could not get their sermons together until the third Sunday, and thus the third Sunday of June became the first designated Father's Day, and it has continued ever since. Today, Father's Day is observed in 60 countries around the world. President Woodrow Wilson gave Father's Day its first official recognition in 1916. In 1924, President Calvin Coolidge urged the observance of Father's Day all over the nation and into its possessions and territories. April 24, 1972, President Richard Nixon signed the resolution and issued the first Presidential Father's Day proclamation that year. Mrs. Dodd died at the age of 96, March 22, 1978, leaving behind her a world that has set aside a special day to honor our dads. She was an artist, a poet, a good wife, and a mother, and she was not a feminist. She believed in the father's role in the home. Now in the passage we've just read in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, this section deals with the Holy Spirit-filled life and how people live who are filled with the Spirit. Not all men walk in the Spirit. In 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, we have the story of Adonijah, the son of Haggith and David. He exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And his father had not displeased him at any time in saying, Why hast thou done so? And he also was a very handsome man, and his mother bore him after Absalom. If David had one great falling and, and failing, and I hasten to say that David was a man after God's own heart, but the scripture unfolds the mistakes of the men of the Bible. That's one of the attestations of the truth of the scripture. Sometimes we write stories of people, and we write all their virtues, we tell how good they were, and we ignore their faults. The Bible explicitly deals with the faults. If David had one great big failure, other than the big sins that are mentioned in his life, it was in regard to his home. And this was in regard, this was related to the sins that he committed. This was related to his sin with Bathsheba. In his home, he did not honor the principles of the scripture. He ignored his family. He did not give discipline. In the passage we just read about Adonijah, he was the brother of Absalom. Absalom and Adonijah grew up, and their father had very little to do with them. They sort of grew up in their mother's home. And David seldom disciplined them. The scripture specifically says, David never said to Adonijah, why are you doing this? You need not to do this. There are certain rules in our home. He didn't ever do that. As a result, Absalom rebelled against David. You know the story of that. And how God's, how David's heart longed after Absalom. 
And when Absalom's hair was caught in that tree and he was killed by the, by the armies, Abs David's heart ached for his own son and he cried out, Oh, Absalom, my son Absalom. Because he knew how to have compassion. But he did the same mistake with Adonijah. He never corrected him. He let him do whatever he wanted to do. There came a time when David was an old man that Adonijah said, I'm going to be king. I know that Solomon's supposed to be king, but I'm going to get rid of Solomon. And our, my old, the old man, David, is sort of sick, and he'll never know the difference. And so he led a revolt and went out to the city, and he set up himself as the king. Adonijah did not follow the principles of the Lord, nor did David his father. In 2 Kings chapter 21, there's another interesting passage. 2 Kings chapter 21, verses 19 to 22. Ammon was 22 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Mashalamath, the daughter of Harris of Jotbah. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh did. And he walked in all the ways that his father walked in and served the idols that his father served and worshiped them. And he forsook the Lord God of his fathers and walked not in the way of the Lord. Not all people walk in the way of the Lord. Some are not following the injunctions of the Scripture. I want to say to you fathers, your little boys and girls are watching you. Your teenage boys and girls are watching you. Now, not all sons and daughters follow what their mother and dad do, but it makes a deep impression, and they're watching. There are little eyes upon you, and they're watching night and day. There are little ears that listen to every word you say. There are little hands all eager to do the things you do. And a little boy who's dreaming of the day he'll be like you. You're the little fellow's idol. You're the wisest of the wise. In his little mind about you no suspicions ever rise. He believes in you devotedly. He holds that all you say and do, he will say and do in your way when he's grown up just like you. There's a wide-eyed little fellow who believes you're always right. And his ears are always open as he watches day and night. You're setting an example every day in all you do for the little boy who's waiting to grow up to be like you. Edgar Guest said that, and how true it is. We need to walk in the paths of the Lord. Not too long ago, I asked three fathers, what in your life will most greatly influence your son to walk in the ways of his father to righteousness? Here's some answers. Number one, let my children know I really mean with my life what I say with my lips. Consistency. Number two, no compromise with convictions. Number three, administer discipline in love. Number four, teach my children the real reason 
why their father walks the way he does. It pays to serve Jesus. I ask, what makes children walk in wickedness? These same fathers summed it all up by this statement, a lack of godly discipline. We can learn a lot from the Lord. <clears throat> the Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. If a father really loves his son, if he really loves his daughter, there are going to be some guidelines. There are going to be some discipline at home. I ask a boy who did not follow Christ, although his parents went to church regularly, I ask him, why are you rebelling like you are? Why don't you want to go to church? What's wrong inside of your heart? Not until we get to heaven will I ever tell who said this. But a boy told me this, and I wrote it down so I wouldn't miss it. He said there are three reasons. This was this particular boy. I'm not sure that, I don't think that's true of every person, but it, if it fits, wear it. Somebody said if the shoe fits, wear it. He said there was hypocrisy in my home. My parents went to church, but there was hypocrisy. They didn't do outside of church what they did in church. Number two. The parents, he said, my parents thought the preaching of the pastor was not necessarily to be followed. He preaches one thing, but we don't have to do what he preaches. He's just sort of old-fashioned. We can do whatever we want to do. We discussed it at dinner. I heard it discussed and we went home in the car, he said. We don't have to do what the preacher says. Don't like what he says. And thirdly, this boy said they criticized the church and the pastor. Now, there's just this one person's judgment. I recognize that. But isn't that a tragedy? You think this boy grew up in a godly home. He had parents that loved him, cared for him, took him to church. He heard the same preaching that you've been hearing. trouble. I asked him this. He said, if you had asked me a year or so ago, I probably wouldn't have told you this. I've had time to digest it and think it through. He said, I went out of church many, many times concerned, thinking that I should follow what you were suggesting. But I heard my parents critical of some of the preaching. Critical of some of the stand. And I thought, well, if they can be critical of those things, then I can be critical of some other things. He said it wasn't necessarily true that my parents were critical of what I was critical of, but I heard that, and therefore it belittled the preached Word of God, and I didn't think I had to listen to it. 
This was sustained by a statement made by one of the most effective youth workers in the entire nation. With few exceptions, every boy or girl I have seen rebel against God and the church and life rooted his rebellion in some sort of rebellion or permissiveness in the home. With all this in mind, I want to suggest to you, not from my own experience, but from the Word of God, an abundant observation, a formula for a father's life. If he would have his son and daughter walk in the paths of righteousness rather than the paths of wickedness. If he would be able to say in years to come, go home to thy friends. The home is the training center of the universe. The home is where we get our concepts and ideals and plans for all of life. And a strong father in that home can send out into this world sons and daughters who have spiritual power and effectiveness and character. Number one, honor the Word of God. Honor the Word of God. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It should be health to thy navel, and marrow to thy bones. Now listen, we're all familiar with that. But do you know whom, to whom that was said? Look back at chapter 3, verse 1. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. And so on. This is said in the context of a home. Lean not unto thine understanding. All thy ways acknowledge the Lord. And so, honor the Word of God, the wonderful Word of God. Number two, habitually set a standard consistent of consistency. No compromise. John put it this way in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. In today's paper, or Friday's paper rather, there was a little note on the church page that I thought was very precious. Come Sunday... The world will pay homage to a very special fellow. He is the husband, the father, the breadwinner, and the sturdy foundation of our community. The sturdy foundation of our community. We pause to do him honor. He may be gruff and stern and tanned of face, but he is dad. Just get an x-ray of his heart if you really want to see something rare. What strange but wonderful people these fathers are. They are the world's easiest victims of love's attack. Just pour on a little tension, seasoned with about two parts of tenderness, and give it a very little, give in very small doses, since he can never stand a big dose. Then just sit back and watch his big heart warm up. It will respond in true father faith fashion. This is Father's Day. Won't you take this counsel? Well, you see, when we give the fathers the honor due to them, 
And in our homes, we're honoring the Word. We're habitually setting a standard of conduct that has no compromise, and we're harboring in our home love, love that never fails. And we're healing bruises with meaningful discipline. And we're helping our loved ones come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there's going to be joy in the camp because your home is like a camp. There's going to be joy there when these things are taking place. And in closing, let me just mention these thoughts. The Father has a responsibility to teach, to train, to provide, to nurture, to control, and to love. When He abandons that position and gives it to the teachers at school, or to the Sunday school teachers at church, or to the bus pastors, or to somebody else, he has abandoned a very important role. We live today in a world, you know, especially in America, where 40% of our homes have no father. What a tragedy. There's nothing can be done about that. But we can say to boys and girls today, determine that as you go into marriage, you're going to be a father and a mother that will stick. You're going to be a man and woman that will stick in your marriage. You'll stay there through the tough times and the hard times and the difficult times. You're just going to stay there. We have been so thoroughly imbued with Hollywood standards today that a husband or wife says, well, I don't have a marriage like Hollywood says I'm supposed to have and like the TV people say I'm supposed to have and like all these soap operas, uh, you know, I just don't have that kind of marriage, so I think I'll just have a marriage like everybody else. And if, I, uh, if my feelings grow a little bit thin, I'll look somewhere else, find somebody else to go with. God says, thou shalt not. The Bible just simply says, thou shalt not. And fathers, much of that is up to you. I know there are some unfaithful, unscrupulous women but very frankly, that probably shows up before marriage. And the wise man who seeks godly counsel and the Word of God counsel and checks out with Jesus and with godly counsel before marriage, usually will become aware that that girl is like that and will marry her. That's not always true, but often it could be true. Fathers, if you'll find the godly counsel of the Lord and find the girl that God wants you to have, give yourself to her, love her with all your heart, be true to her, be faithful to her, and be what the Scripture says, God will bless in this responsibility. Secondly, the Father has a righteousness. The Bible says that the father is to be a godly man. What makes us righteous is not our own works, but the righteousness of Christ. In Titus chapter 3, the scripture says we're saved not by our own righteousness, but by his. It is an imputed righteousness, and we become his children by faith. A number of years ago, I met a man named... T.J. Powell. He was born in 1921 
When he, when he was 17, his father was a drunkard, an alcoholic. His mother and dad fought all the time, and one day when he came home, his father had an instrument and was going at his mother and was going to kill her. He was drunk. Young T.J., 17 years old, got a gun and killed his father. He never got over it. They arrested him. He spent years and years in a prison. I was in a revival meeting in Leroy, Alabama. We were out visiting one day and went out on a dusty road and here came an old man on a horse. And the preacher, the pastor said, that's T.J. Powell. He said he spent his life in prison for killing his daddy. I'd like to see him saved. We stood by his horse and we were introduced and I said, T.J., I wonder, I love horses and I petted his horse and I asked him if he'd let me get up on his horse and ride him a little bit. Sort of broke the ice that way. I love horses. My dad taught me two years ago. And then I got off and I said, T.J., tell me about your life. And he told me what I've just told you. And tears came in his eyes. He said, I regretted a thousand times killing my father. He said, I thought I had to do it to defend my mother. He said, I never got over it. It's right in my heart today. And then he looked at me and he said a strange thing. He said, could God ever forgive that? I said, T.J., God can forgive sin. He will forgive you. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I'll never forget it. We got down in the Alabama dust, right by those horses' hoofs, and T.J. poured out his heart to God and asked God to forgive his sin. Not just the sin of killing his dad. That was part of it but his whole life of sin, his whole life of waywardness away from God, his whole insult, his whole life of insult to Jesus. He said, God, I don't see how you could ever save me, but this preacher says you will. And I read it in the Bible. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that day, T.J. Powell fast passed from death to life. God changed him. He went to church that night, made public his profession of faith, and the whole church got excited. They thought T.J. would never get saved. And then he would follow the Lord in baptism. And I understand that he lived for the Lord for a number of years. I think he's already gone on to heaven now. God can save anybody. And he can change a man's life. And he can change our destiny. And he can make us what we ought to be. And there are some men within the sound of my voice today that God wants to move in on your life and make you what he wants you to be. But you have to turn over the reins to the Lord. You have to turn over your heart to God and say, God, I need you. I know that Christ died on the cross for my sins, and I ask him to forgive me and save me. He'll do it. Let's bow together in prayer, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We wait just a moment in prayer. Jesus is speaking to every heart here just now.
He wants to have his way in your life. Our Father, we thank thee for the privilege of prayer. Thank you for T.J. Powell that gave his heart to Christ after all those years of bitterness. We pray that the root of bitterness would take, be taken away from anybody within the sound of our voice today. And some who have felt awful burden of guilt because of disobedience to the will of God, we pray that that one would be able to cast that burden upon the Lord and know that God forgives and cleanses. And Father, we pray for men today who would dare to say, Lord Jesus, here I am. Use me. Make me. Break me. Mold me. I will be clay in the potter's hand. Thank you, Father, that somebody listening today will pass from death unto life. In Jesus' name, amen. May we stand, please. Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. Page 235. Would you turn to that hymn? 235. And as we sing in just a moment, God is speaking. Will you let him have his way with you? I believe someone in this room has heard God speak, and you'd be willing to say, Lord, have your way in my life. Whatever it means, have your way. Maybe there will have to be some changes. There may have to come in your life some sorrow, some hurt. Are you willing? I wonder if there's somebody here today who would be willing to say, I want to be used by God. And I want to be the kind of man or woman that God wants me to be. And I'm willing to pay the price. The price may be high. I'm willing. If you're here and you're not saved, don't hide behind church membership. Don't hide behind baptism. But if you've never been saved, today come to Christ just as you are. Just call out to him, pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry, while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Come, take a stand for Christ today. Will you do it while we begin to sing?